Welcome to the Hand Surgery Resource Podcast on Mallet Finger and Mallet Fractures. The mallet finger injury and mallet fracture of the fingers was first described in 1880 by Sagan. The mallet finger has been called a drop finger or mallet finger because of the mallet appearance of the fingertip after injury. It has also been described as a baseball finger because this injury frequently occurs while playing baseball. When treating mallet finger and mallet fracture anatomy on the dorsum of the distilled digit, the two conjoined lateral bands combine to form the terminal extensor tendon, which is the structure that ruptures in the typical mallet finger injury. The incident data for mallet finger and mallet fracture show that there are about 10 new cases per 100,000 individuals per year. It is most commonly seen in the middle age group and more common in men than women. The most commonly affected digits are the long, ring, and little fingers. The dominant hand is more often injured than the non-dominant hand. The mechanism of injury for a mallet finger can be imagined by visualizing a baseball coming at a high velocity and hitting the tip of the extended finger. The baseball suddenly drives the DIP joint into extreme flexion. Immediate instantaneous result of this trauma can be a rupture of the terminal extensor tendon and a secondary drop finger. In older individuals, particularly those with osteoarthritis in the DIP joint, a much more trivial injury such as tucking in a bedsheet can result in rupture of the extensor tendon. When evaluating the mallet finger or mallet fracture patient, the differential diagnosis should be kept in mind. Diagnoses that can cause the DIP joint to extensor lag or flexion contracture include rheumatoid arthritis, Dupuytren's contracture, osteoarthritis, PIP joint volar plate injuries with secondary swan neck deformity, and compensatory flexion of the DIP joint, and fractures with apex dorsal angulation as seen with Seymour fractures. A Seymour fracture is really a transepiphyseal fracture but presents with a mallet deformity. The presenting symptoms of mallet finger and mallet fracture include pain at the tip and dorsum of the finger, pain around the DIP joint, swelling of the DIP joint, and a flexion deformity of the DIP joint. On physical exam, the signs of mallet finger and mallet fracture include tenderness at the dorsum of the DIP joint, extension lag of the DIP joint, and swelling of the joint with or without an open injury. In a sample patient who presents with a mallet finger in the context of a pre-existing mild swan neck deformity in all digits, the conversation with the physician might go like this, so you came in today because you can't straighten your painful finger. Yes, I was at my daughter's batting practice and she hit a line drive right at me. The ball struck the tip of my finger right here. Patient points to the fingertip. When you push there, is there still tenderness? Yes, it particularly hurts on the top of the joint and please don't push there again. A physician palpates the sides of the DIP joint and asks, Does this hurt on the sides of the joint? Only a little. Now let the joint go loose. Does that hurt less? Yes. Okay, can you straighten your finger at all on your own? No. Okay, try a little harder. The patient tries but no active extension occurs. Okay, the finger will not straighten on its own. How about trying to flex your finger like you are making a fist? Is that possible? That hurts a little on the top of the joint but I can still do it. The next step in the evaluation of a mallet finger is imaging of the injured finger. This can include ultrasound evaluation and or an x-ray of the traumatized finger. An x-ray of the injured finger and its DIP joint is the most common imaging used to evaluate potential mallet finger injuries. 
X-ray views should include an AP, lateral and oblique images. In a type 1 mallet finger, the X-ray will show no fracture or a very small mallet fracture which is non-displaced and not associated with any tendency to sublux the articular surface. An X-ray of a type 2 mallet injury shows a larger, more displaced fracture fragment which may be associated with a small degree of instability of the DIP joint. Type 2 injuries have limited disruption of the joint continuity. In type 2 mallet fracture, some surgeons would recommend intervention while others would treat this in a splint. Type 3 mallet fracture x-rays are associated with a very large mallet fracture fragment with significant subluxation of the distal phalanx. This injury is a fracture dislocation of the joint and will require either percutaneous or open treatment of the mallet fracture. Overall, treatment of 90% of mallet finger and mallet fracture injuries can be treated successfully with the mobilization of the DIP joint and extension. This splinting will allow the fracture or tendon to heal without surgical intervention. For example, the classic stack splint typically will provide adequate immobilization and allow healing with no or minimal residual deformity. The stack splint will hold the DIP joint in extension while allowing some motion of the PIP and MP joints. This split can be removed for hand washing but the injured DIP joint extension with the thumb or opposite hand while washing the hand. The patient should be instructed to not try out the splint when the splint is off until after four to six weeks of treatment. The surgeon or therapist should explain to the patient that the tendon has been torn apart and the splint is holding the edges of the torn tendon together. The post-treatment goal is extensor tendon healing so the DIP joint can be extended fully or almost fully during active extension. Four to six weeks of full-time splinting is required. If the patient attempts to wear a single-style splint for this long treatment period, it can damage the skin at the contact areas. Therefore, providing alternative splint styles such as a foam splint which you can put on the top or bottom of the DIP joint will allow the splint contact pressures on to vary, thus protecting the skin from pressure damage. To accomplish this, a little splint with aluminum and foam padding which is taped in place is very good and allows typing when the splint is placed on the dorsum of the DIP joint. Again, by switching splints and their position you can vary the skin pressure points and avoid skin breakdown during the prolonged DIP joint splinting. However, keep in mind with one type of splint or another the DIP joint should be held straight for six weeks and after this initial treatment period, a splint should be used at night for an additional four minutes six weeks. After the first six weeks of full-time splinting when doing more vigorous daytime activity, the patient can protect the DIP joint with Coben tape when doing activities that might harm the healing tendon. The closed mallet finger on rare occasions may be internally splinted with a K-wire. This treatment can be used for surgeons who have a mallet finger but still must work. The K-wire is left under the skin at the tip of the finger. Once the puncture wound used to insert the K-wire heals, the surgeon can scrub. The K-wire should be further protected from bending during surgical activities by applying a thin gas sterilized plastic cylinder splint. This sterile splint can be placed over the prepped finger underneath the surgeon's glove. The K-wire, which is holding the DIP joint, should be left in place for four minutes six weeks. When a mallet finger is associated with subluxation of the distal fragment of the distal phalanx and there is a large intraarticular mallet fracture fragment, surgical intervention is indicated. This problem can be managed by closed reduction and percutaneous pinning. The first step is placement of a pin longitudinally in the distal phalanx's distal fragment. With the pin in this position, the fracture and DIP joint correct the malalignment of the fracture fragment and the DIP joint dislocation. 
that the distilled phalanx fragment reduced. A second K wire is passed through the center of the extensor tendon just proximal to the mallet fracture dorsal fragment. The second K wire is used as a lever to manipulate the fracture back into anatomic alignment. With the fragment anatomically reduced, the first pin is driven across the DIP joint and into the middle phalanx. Sometimes this longitudinal pin can be driven into the middle phalanx before levering the fracture fragment into position with the second K wire. During this maneuver, one has to be careful not to place the first longitudinal K wire in the space where the dorsal fragment needs to go in order to achieve anatomic alignment. Once the longitudinal K wire has been positioned, the levering second K wire is used to adjust the reduction and obtain anatomic or near anatomic position of the mallet fracture fragment. After levering the fragment into a reduced position, the second K wire is passed obliquely through the neck and head of the middle phalanx and into the volar cortex of the middle phalanx. This will hold the dorsal fragment in the reduced position. The pinned mallet fracture dislocation should be protected for four weeks. At the end of the four weeks, the pins can be removed and external splinting continued for an extra two weeks before switching to night splinting. Alternatively, an open reduction and internal fixation of the dislocation and displaced fracture fragment can be performed. During the initial steps of open reduction and internal fixation, the longitudinal K wire is placed into the distilled phalanx's distilled fragment for later advancement into the middle phalanx. This longitudinal K wire will keep the joint anatomically aligned. Next, through a dorsal curvilinear incision over the DIP joint, a pullout suture is attached to the extensor tendon and mallet fracture. This suture will be used to pull the mallet fracture into anatomic alignment. During this maneuver, the terminal extensor tendon is mobilized along with the mallet fracture fragment. This suture will be used as a pullout suture that will be placed through the base of the distilled phalanx. The longitudinal pin that was kept in the distilled phalanx is now advanced proximally into the head of the middle phalanx. The passing of the distilled K wire into the middle phalanx is facilitated by making a hole in the head of the middle phalanx with a separate K wire prior to advancing the longitudinal pin. This guide hole facilitates passing the longitudinal pin into the middle phalanx. The longitudinal pin should not cross the pip joint. To assure this, one should check the passive motion of the PIP joint after the pin has been advanced into the shaft of the middle phalanx. The longitudinal pin has now secured the distilled phalanx to the middle phalanx with the DIP joint engine. Next, the intraarticular mallet fracture fragment that is attached to the extensor tendon is ready to be reduced into its anatomic position. To reduce the mallet fracture fragment, the pullout suture is passed through the base of the distilled phalanx and out through the pulp of the fingertip volarly. This suture had been previously placed through the extensor tendon and over the dorsum of the mallet fracture fragment and will pull the fragment into anatomic position as it is tightened over a button volarly. A K-wire, which is used as a drill bit, makes the hole in the base to the distilled phalanx. A Keith needle can be used to pass the pullout suture through the hole in the base of the distilled phalanx. Once the Keith needle has been passed through the bone and the pulp, it is removed from the suture. The pullout suture is then used to pull the terminal extensor tendon and mallet fracture fragment into anatomic position in the base of the distilled phalanx. Supplemental sutures can be used where possible dorsally to help secure the extensor tendon in its anatomic position. A pullout suture, which is now external to the pulp of the finger volarly, is tied over the steroplastic button. Finally, the dorsal incision is irrigated and the skin is closed with interrupted nylon sutures. The end of the longitudinal K wire is then bent over the tip of the fingernail and cut to appropriate length. The pullout suture, which was tied volarly, is double checked and a dressing applied. 
Finally, the finger is also supported with the external splint for four weeks while the fractured heals. At approximately four weeks, the K-wire can be removed, but the supplemental splinting is continued for an additional two weeks before staring DIP joint motion. During the procedure, intraoperative mini fluoroscopy or x-rays are used to verify the reduction of the mallet fracture fragment and the DIP joint. When treating mallet finger and fracture injuries surgically, the surgeon should advise the patient that there is a small risk of potential complications, such as adhesions, neuroma formation, infection, recurrent persistent extension lag, and post-traumatic arthritis. Before concluding, we should review some key educational points related to mallet finger and mallet fractures. Acute traumatic swan neck deformities must be carefully examined to determine if they are secondary to a mallet finger injury or secondary to a PIP joint volar plate injury. Both can potentially cause a mallet finger deformity. AP, lateral and oblique x-rays should always be obtained to rule out mallet fracture, determine the size of the fracture, the displacement of the fracture, and the amount of joint subluxation. Effective splinting of the mallet finger injury requires a reliable, conscientious, and cooperative patient. Splinting 24 hours per day should be continued for 6 weeks and be followed by 4-6 weeks of nighttime splinting. Protecting the finger with tape during the day for initial vigorous activities is appropriate. During continuous splinting, the patient should be advised to avoid trying out their active DIP extension to disrupt the healing of the terminal extensor tendon. When splitting the DIP joint, avoid excessive hyperextension that causes blanching of the dorsal skin at the level of the dorsal DIP joint. The PIP joint is not immobilized when splinting a mallet finger or mallet fracture injury. Pinning the DIP joint in neutral extension with a K-wire left under the pulp skin can be useful if the patient must do activities like surgery. When splinting of routine mallet fractures is employed, alternating splint types and splint position around the DIP can help minimize skin problems. The initial mallet finger extension lag can vary from 5 to 85 degrees. The small amount of extension lag can progress if a mallet finger is not recognized and splinted early. A late presentation is not a contraindication to trying treatment with splints. A successful splinting outcome for mallet fingers can be expected in most patients, but poor results can occur secondary to poor cooperation and inadequate immobilization of the DIP joint. Lacerations that cut the terminal extensor tendon can also cause mallet finger deformities. These injuries should also be considered an open joint because the dorsal DIP joint capsule and extensor tendon are confluent at the level of the DIP joint. These lacerations require acute surgical debridement, irrigation, repair, and K-wire internalization. There is no agreement and consensus on the indications for surgical treatment for closed soft tissue mallet finger injuries. In closed injuries with ruptured extensor tendons, surgical repair of the terminal extensor tendon is frequently unsuccessful because of the thin nature of the tendon and the shredding of the ruptured extensor tendon. This shredding can cause the sutures to easily pull through the tendon so that their approximation of the tendon ends is easily lost. Any surgical procedure at the DIP joint level should be done with care to avoid damaging the terminal matrix of the nail. Surgical repair of the mallet fracture should be considered if the dorsal fragment is 20 to 30 percent of the articular surface of the distal phalanx and the joint appears unstable. Surgical repair is indicated if the large distal phalanx mallet fracture fragment involves more than 50% of the articular surface. If the DIP joint is subluxed or if the fracture fragment is displaced dorsally and proximal to the head of the middle phalanx, chronic supple mallet finger with PIP joint and DIP joint extension lags can be treated with a Fowler central slip release technique, but the precise procedural details must be followed closely. 
Chronic neglected mallet fractures with a large intraarticular fracture fragment may require DIP joint fusion. Children with a transepiphyseal distal phalanx fracture, a so-called Seymour fracture, can easily mimic a mallet finger injury and must be recognized as a separate distinct entity. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information on mallet finger and mallet fracture, visit the Hand Surgery Resource YouTube channel or visit www.handsurgeryresource.org and see our online text, Hand Surgery Source. You can also access Hand Surgery Source via our Hand Surgery Source app, which is available at the Apple App Store and on Google Play. We hope you have enjoyed our podcast on mallet finger and mallet fracture.